It's great to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on our campus, online, uh, Hopewell, great to be able to be with you. Uh, it's great to see the sun out. It's going to get up to a balmy, uh, what, 32 today? That's going to be amazing. I uh, can't wait to have... You've got to be kidding me. You're not excited about that? You guys are scaring me this morning. But uh, looking forward to that. But uh, we, uh, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I was thinking about that. As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, three chapters, uh, I was looking at just this, this, the way I'm wired. I don't know how you're wired, but when... I sign up for something, I want to know what I'm signing up for. Uh, that's just the way I'm wired. Uh, if someone comes up to me and says, can you do something for me? I, I very seldom will say yes before I find out what it is. Uh, I just want to know, what am I getting into? You know, I, I want to help people out, but I want to know exactly what are you asking me to do. Uh, if someone asks, hey, can you help me move? I want to know, are you asking me to pack boxes? Because if you're asking me to do that, the answer is no. If you're asking me to move boxes, I'm quite capable of doing that. Uh, and so I, I want to know all these things. And I've had people say to me when they look at the, the, the Christian faith, followers, what's it mean to follow Christ? I, I wish it was just a place that just sort of spelled that out for me. And, and we've been looking at that place. Uh, yeah, God's Word, 66 books, but there's actually in the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters where Jesus really lays out what does it mean to be his follower? Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of Scripture shouldn't be studied. Don't, don't hear me say that, because I'm not saying that. Certainly, we should study all 66 books. There's tons of teaching that we need to, to be able to pour ourselves into and allow the Lord to pour himself into us. But certainly, the Sermon on the Mount provides a robust picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so Jesus has been laying that out for us. And we've been spending weeks, really, uh, if you count the fall into this winter series, looking at what Jesus has been laying out for us. And now he brings us to a point to where he's going to say a decision needs to be made. He's going to really give us a picture of, of what genuine Christianity looks like. And he's even going to give us a, 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 a warning to beware of false teachers who could lead us astray. And so this is what we're going to look at together this morning. We're going to jump right in. Jesus instructs us, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Christ begins by talking about entering through the narrow gate. And if we're to look back through the Sermon on the Mount, we can surmise that Jesus is making a contrast. In fact, he presents to us several contrasts. A contrast between two kinds of righteousness, two kinds of devotion. In fact, he, he shared with us two kinds of treasures, two kinds of masters and two ambitions. And all these Jesus has already spoken of. And again, as I've said, now Jesus says it's time for a decision. Are you going to walk according to the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? Are you going to walk according to the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? And it's important to realize that really you only have two possibilities. Only two possibilities. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Karate Kid. Not the remake, that one was horrible, but the original one. And there's a scene where you have Daniel and, and, and Miyagi, and you know they're just getting ready to make this commitment with each other, talking about knowing what Daniel was getting into. Miyagi's very clear. 
And, and to make the point even clearer, he says, listen, you can walk down one side of the road or the other side of the road, but if you walk down the middle of the road, you get squashed like a grape. And, and Jesus even makes it clear and says, really, there's no middle of the road. You choose one side or the other. It's either the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean we're not growing. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that sometimes we don't see ourselves wandering to the other side of the road. And we need the spirit of God to, to bring us back. But it means we need to make a choice. And so Jesus continues by teaching about two gates leading to two different roads. And he says that genuine Christians enter by the narrow gate and travel the narrow road that although hard leads to life, but the wide gate and road may be easy, but leads to destruction. You can't get much clearer than that. Two choices, one leading to life, one leading to destruction. So let's begin by looking at the wide gate and the road. The wording used here is wide and easy. And it really presents us a, a picture, this, this wide gate, uh, being wide and easy, presents us a picture of being spacious and roomy. It's a spacious and roomy road. There's plenty of room. There's, there's, there's room for various opinions and moral laxness. The ride, wide road has no curbs, no boundaries, no rules. That's why it's so appealing. You can do it your way. Everyone can have their own way on that road. There, there's no right or wrong. What's right for you is right for you. Who am I to tell you what's right and wrong? And, and this is the wide road. This is the wide gate. But the narrow gate and road is quite different. The narrow gate and way in contrast to the easy and wide is, is hard. And Jesus is really honest about that. I've had people come up to me after following Christ for a while and say, this isn't easy. <laughs> Go figure. Jesus never said it was. It's always easier to go with the flow than to choose to go against it. <laughs> come on, church. It just is, right? It's easier to just simply say, well, you can have your way. Your, your right is your right. But it is when someone asks you a question, what do you think? By the way, that's a really interesting thing when people ask you that, because most of the time they're not really caring what you think. They're hoping you think like they think, and when you don't think like they think, they get upset with what you're thinking. Isn't that the truth? And so it's a difficult path when someone asks, what, what do you think? And you're a follower of Christ and say, okay, this is what God thinks. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around what God is thinking. Now, the narrow gateway, in contrast to the easy and wide, is hard. It, it has boundaries. And these boundaries are clearly spelled out in God's word. On the narrow path, it's not opinions. Let me say this again. On the narrow path, it's not opinions, but God's word that presents the truth, leading Christ followers down the right road. It's interesting to me. People ask me, do you, do you believe the Bible, like all of it? And the answer is Yes. Do you understand all of it? The answer is no. Are, are you living perfectly according to it? The answer is uh, I'm trying. <laughs> uh, you know, I, but, but the reality of it is I, I realize that if there's a place in God's word that's different than the way I'm thinking, I need to ask the spirit of God to change my thinking, not God's word. 
Like if I've chosen Jesus and believe he's the way, then I want to walk his way. And when I find myself not wanting to walk his way, ask the spirit to help make me want to walk his way so I can follow his leading and walk his way. Come on now. That, that's, that's what we're talking about. More importantly, that's what Jesus is talking about. Our, our narrow path is not opinions, but God's word that presents truth leading the Christ followers down the right road. And the entry through the narrow gate onto the right path is a turnstile of sorts. So Craig, what do you mean by that? When we enter one by one through Christ, who said, I am the gate, who enters, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now that's crucial, because many will say there's many ways to God, but the scripture says there's only one, and it's through Jesus Christ. The world will say there's many ways to happiness. The scripture says there's only one way to true joy, and that's through Jesus Christ. People say there's many ways to look at salvation. Jesus says there's only one. It's through him. And so we can choose the kingdom of the world that has varying opinions, many ideas of what's right, but the scripture says leads to destruction. Or we can choose God's way, which is narrow and sometimes difficult. Difficult, why? Because we're going against the current, but leads to life. Leads to life. The reality of it is that many of us, if we were to be really honest and look at our lives, would say we always would really want to choose the easy way. I have a few friends who love working out, and they're sick in the head. I love them. I love them. I do, but there's something just not right about them. Right? But the reality of it is you can't get in shape without working out. I have friends who don't like food. Like, I really don't. I worked for a guy like that. He one time came up to me and said, I forgot about, I forgot to eat lunch today. Like, I don't, I've never forgotten a meal. Like, how do you forget a meal? Like, I've, I've like not been able to go eat the meal and been, like, frustrated that I didn't have that meal. But I'm like a little kid, you know? A kid wants to know when's breakfast, when's lunch, when's dinner. And I'm the same way still. I've never grown up. I want to have all those meals. My wife will say sometimes, man, we had a big breakfast. We don't really have to have lunch. And I go, speak for yourself. <laughs> breakfast was, was breakfast. Lunch is lunch. And that's the easy way. The easy way. But I find that those who really, really, really discipline their bodies work hard at it. One of my favorite memes shows someone who's really in shape and it shows what they did to get there and then someone looks at him and says, oh, that must be genetics. <laughs> Not so much. Takes hard work. Takes hard work. Jesus says there's only one way. The easy way, entered through the wide gate, leads to destruction, while the hard way, entering through the narrow gate, leads to eternal life. Notice that there are two crowds. One crowd are many who enter through the wide gate, traveling the easy road that leads to destruction. The other crowd is few, who enter through the narrow gate, journeying down the hard road that leads to life. Many, few, easy, hard. But I like what, what, what really John Stott comments here, because we've got to keep this in mind too. He says, I don't think that we can build on this contrast between few and many, any speculation that the final number of the redeemed will be small. 
If we compare Scripture with Scripture, as we always must, he writes, we shall want to put alongside this teaching of Jesus the vision of John, that the redeemed before God's throne will be a great multitude that no one could count. So how do we reconcile this? Well, if you look at the span of history, many people, many people enter into the kingdom of God in that sense. But when you look at the number of people in the world, most people will not. Most people won't. That breaks my heart. I'm an optimist, so to speak. And so I don't like this one. But it's true. It's true. It, it, it amazes me, but it's true. I, was, I would suppose that the, the many and few spans the, the history of humanity, but, but that there will be very few who really do choose in the whole span of humanity this narrow path. And Jesus understands that, and he shares that with us. Why? Because it's so easy to want to follow the crowd. No one really wants to stand out for, for something that the crowd doesn't like. Peer pressure. We talk so much about that with our students, but the reality of it, peer pressure never stops. It's not like we become immune to it the older we get. We all deeply do want to be liked. If you say you don't want to give like, like you, you just have given up. But the reality of it is deep down we all want to be liked. No one doesn't want to be liked. But doing the right thing sometimes puts you in a situation where you're not liked. I love how Jesus says it because we think it's about us. But he says, hey, when they're persecuting you, it's not because of you. It's because of me, Jesus says. Don't you love it? It's not because of you. Who are you? It's me in you. But so many people want to follow the crowd. What's clear is that Jesus teaches that there's two ways, easy and hard. There's no middle way. That these ways are entered through two gates, a one wide, one narrow. There's, there's no other gate. The paths are trodden by two crowds, one large, one small. There's no neutral group. And there are two destinations, destruction and life. There's no third alternative. And Jesus says, and you've got to choose. You've got to choose. To not choose is a choice. You've got to choose. And so Jesus continues. Look at Matthew 7, 15 through 20. He's talked about what does it mean to follow Christ where you choose the, the narrow path, you, you, you enter through him. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. You follow his way. And then he continues by warning us. He starts in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. I mean, a, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus speaks of two trees producing two kinds of fruit and the presence of these false prophets. And genuine Christians are to watch out for false prophets. And false prophets are dangerous and deceptive. They're dangerous and deceptive. False prophets may use uh, uh, sort of religious language. They may sound spiritual. They may look like sheep. They may look like part of the family of God. However, their teaching does not align with God's word and leads people down the wrong path. And Jesus later in Matthew 15 and 24 teaches 
that after his death and resurrection and ascension, along with the worldwide spreading of the gospel, there would be a rise of false teachers who would lead many astray. We need to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The danger of these false prophets is that in actuality, they're wolves. Now, what were wolves like in first century Palestine when Jesus was talking about this? Well, no different than today, but we understand that sheep were, were defenseless against these ravenous predators who were enemies of the sheep because they would go and destroy them. As Jesus was to later teach, he's the good shepherd. And what's the good shepherd do? He looks out to protect the sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd. We're to understand that we're to keep our eyes on him and keep in step of his spirit, being rooted in word and prayer, so we're not led astray and destroyed by these ravenous wolves. And it's interesting, this history of false prophets didn't start after Jesus. They had always been present among the people of God to lead them astray. We see them throughout the Old Testament. We see them throughout the New. We see many in the church today. And so at a quick glance reveals the intent of Christ is to give us this warning against false prophets so we make sure we're still heading down the right path. Understanding his teaching of the two gates and the two ways and the two destinations in his sermon, false prophets are skilled at blurring the issue of salvation. In the scripture, it talks about they, they tickle people's ears. What's that mean? Well, if the gospel you're hearing in some ways doesn't give you a holy ouch moment once in a while, it's probably not the real gospel. If the gospel you're hearing simply is going the same way the world is going, fully going the same direction, it's probably not the real gospel. Because Jesus says there's two paths and they, they look different. Here, here's the good news. We can assume that in Jesus telling us to beware that there's such a thing as an objective standard of truth by which false prophets and falsehoods can be recognized. In fact, false prophets are recognizable, what did Jesus say? By their fruit. False prophets can be identified by whether or not they bear good fruit of obedience to Jesus' teaching. Now, I want to be clear here. He says obedience to Jesus' teach. I say obedience to Jesus' teaching, not by how many people are following them. Do you hear me? Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that that, that a true teacher of the gospel doesn't have many people who are listening to them. It just means we got to be careful that numbers doesn't equate truth. Because many choose the wrong path. Few choose the right one. But the few can be many in the scheme of how many people are around. Okay? So we want to be careful there, but we need to understand that. It appears that you may indeed mistake a wolf for a sheep, but you cannot mistake a bad tree from a good one. That's what Jesus says here. Think about the character of the fruit of the tree. A fig tree bears figs, a vine grapes. I mean, that seems pretty, pretty, uh, pretty understandable, right? One, one, they produce what they produce. Its condition is also visible. Every good tree bears good fruit, which comes from obedience to Christ and his word. The health of the tree is observed by its truth, by its fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So Jesus says, look at the fruit. Is it in alignment with God's word? That's how we can know 
whether a teacher is of God or not. That's how we can know whether they're leading us down the right path. So let me summarize a bit and build on what we've already observed. The first kind of test by which a false prophet can be identified is their character and conduct. A key question to ask is whether or not they are growing in Christ-likeness, exhibiting a more and more fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22-23. What are we talking about here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that being developed within the teacher themselves? There's no sense in following someone who isn't following Jesus. Now, by the way, there's no such thing as a perfect teacher, but there should be a perfecting teacher. Someone who's becoming, someone who's leading, someone who's saying, look, follow me as I follow Christ, not because I am perfect, but because I know what it means to follow him. Secondly, the second kind of test by which false prophets can be identified, again, is their teaching. A person's heart is revealed through their their mouth, their words. In 1 John, believers are encouraged to look for righteousness and love in our teachers, as well as whether their teaching is in alignment with God's word, particularly whether it confesses Jesus as the Christ who's come in the flesh, acknowledging him as God. See, false teachers, even within what we would call churches, are, are teaching things today like there's more than one way to come to God. There's more than one way to live. That God's word needs to evolve. Have you heard that? Well, no, God's word doesn't need to evolve. God's word is timeless. We need to be careful that we're not evolving into something that's not right. We need to understand that God's word brings life when we know Jesus and walk with him. It's expected, by the way, of every believer to take any teaching back to Scripture to affirm its truthfulness. Even this, but I'm speaking to you. You need to go into the Word and say, is what Craig shared really of God? Is it in alignment with the Word? Every teaching should be taken to the, back to the Word and make sure it's biblical. It's biblical. Just because something sounds good doesn't make it good. The sheep and... You know, the wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Well, I felt good. I had one person say to me once, I didn't like that message. It didn't make me feel good. I thought, well, sorry about that. Why do you think that is? And they said, well, I'm not doing what you said. I said, well, first of all, I was just reading scripture. Don't blame me. Right? Come on now. But sometimes that's the reality. Sometimes I'm reading God's word and I realize that I've strayed away. Ever been there? I'm not in alignment on that thing. And I don't go, woo! I'm not walking like Jesus on that one. That's good. No, it's not good. It sobers me up. I come to the Lord and say, Lord, bring me back in. What am I doing here? What's going on? I want your joy. And for us to think that we can do something contrary to God's word in it to bring us deep joy is a great fallacy. Jesus says, follow me and I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. I'll give you power. But we can't do it on our own terms. We do it on his terms. Right, church? Come on now. Come on. And so it's expected then of every believer to take 
back to the, the teaching they hear back to the word of God. The third kind of test by which false te- prophets can be identified is their influence. We ask, what kind of effect does this teaching have on their followers? Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 16-18. He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Think about it, swerved from the truth. Saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. I mean, that's a vivid picture. It spreads like gangrene. Keep away from it. Distance yourself. False teachers will often upset people's faith in Christ, promote ungodliness, and cause bitter division, which spreads like gangrene. Here's the simple truth. The simple truth is that applying these tests to teachers is not a superficial estimate of their role, position, or standing in the church, but really a close look at their character their conduct, their message, their motives, and their influence. Who they are deep inside. So how are we to respond to false prophets? Well, Jesus says, every bad tree bears bad fruit, which is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now let me be really careful here. Okay? It doesn't mean we throw false prophets into fire, literally. But it does mean that we make sure we distance ourselves from them. The church, believers, are to remove the influence of false prophets from their lives as radically as an orchard owner would cut down and burn a fruitless tree. When I was growing up in Florida, my, behind my parents' house, we had two orange trees. And next door, Mr. Johnson had four. And Mr. Johnson not only took care of his four trees, he took care of ours. He, he just did that for us. He was such a neat man. And one day, I remember, he came over to our house, and he said to my dad, he said, you have a problem in the backyard. One of your trees has has become diseased, and if we don't do something about it, it will affect all the other orange trees, not just in your backyard and my backyard, but throughout our neighborhood. And so dad said, what do we need to do? He said, we need to cut the thing down. And so I remember when, when Mr. John said, we need to cut the thing down, and then dad said, hey, Craig, go cut down the tree. And so I went out back and, and cut it down and put it in the huge garbage cans we had. And, and it, was, it was taken away to save the rest of the orange trees. Now, again, when it comes to false prophets, I mean, we cut them down. It means we distance themselves from them. It means that we care enough that, that if we have someone we're pouring into, that we warn them to consider the teaching they're listening to. Let me, let me just share this with you. If you're hearing a gospel that says that you can follow Christ and it's going to be easy, you're not going to have to make any changes in the way that you're living, that you're, you're never ever going to have to deal with any type of adversity if you're following Jesus. In other words, you're going to be rich, healthy, all these things, no problems whatsoever. It's fake. Come on, church. It's fake. You say, how do you know? Because I've read the Bible. The Bible talks about adversity. By the way, if all you ever were were healthy, you would never die. Like I could say to you, here's John, who, who is from the first century. He never died. His body never gave up. It just doesn't make any logical sense, church. Do I believe the Lord heals? Absolutely. 
Do I believe the Lord does miracles? Absolutely. But they're miracles because they stand out from the norm. Why does God choose to heal one and not another? Above my pay grade. But I've asked that question often. In fact, I've asked a question. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I've asked a question. Why did you take them and leave them? I have. You know what I hear from the Lord? Above your pay grade. Why is that person prosperous and that person not above my pay grade? Why does that person seem to have an easier road and that person not above my pay grade? What I do know is God knows best and he's faithful. And I've learned to be able to say, Lord, even in the difficult times, I know you're faithful. I don't like it, but I know you're faithful. And in the easy times, which sometimes seem few, don't they? I go, Lord, thank you for the reprieve. (laughs) But this I do know, church. All this is temporary. Temporary. Even if you live to be 100, temporary. Eternity is where our focus is on. He said, well, if your focus is just on eternity, then you're, you're going to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, 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 no. Because if you're focused on eternity, then you're focused on taking as many with you as you can. Right? If you're focused on eternity, you're focused on taking as many with you as you can. So it's important to note that this warning Jesus gives This, by the way, does not encourage suspicion of everyone. And it doesn't encourage us to take up the hobby of heresy hunting. I see that in the church too. Where there's heresy hunters. Not apologists, not people who are are God-given to to help us know truth from non-truth. And and who to find. No, no, no. But heresy hunters. So many people try to look for the counterfeit. And I, I just want to encourage you. That's not what God's telling us to do here. He's saying, look to him. Know the truth so well that you'll be able to discover who the counterfeit is. So if you know God's word, you can tell really quick if someone's teaching something that's not in there. Come on, you're getting quiet this morning. And so be careful of that. We're simply to be on our guard by drawing close to Christ and keeping step with his spirit, being rooted in his word and prayer. But what is Jesus really calling us to? He's saying, choose him. Choose Christ. Choose his way. As believers journeying down the right path, we can enjoy the fellowship of other Christ followers, keeping our eyes on the goal of life. Watchful for those who will lead us astray. Washed over by God's peace, by God's strength, by God's joy. That's what the journey is really about. Getting beyond the superficial. And getting into the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Realizing that above everything else that we could obtain in this world, what we truly need is Him. Him. But in this world, we'll have difficulties. In this world, we'll have people who are trying to lead us astray. But if we have Jesus, if we've chosen him, 
We need not fear anything. For he is our all in all. And if you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you, why not this morning? Whether you're here on the campus, whether you're online, whether you're watching throughout the week, you've been created for that relationship with him. He loves you. I know I say this quite often, but I just can't say it enough. How do I know he loves you? Because he died on the cross for you. He didn't just say it, he demonstrated it. And for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus, I don't know about you, but listening to Christ's words this morning, I'm like, Lord, help me walk that narrow path. Help me choose the the path of the few. Help me choose you. Let's pray. Father God, in many ways, as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's message here, recorded in Matthew 5 through 7, it's led us to this point. As we started looking at, you know, the Beatitudes and these these lifestyles, these decisions of, of, of wanting to be like Jesus, all the way through all the different contrast. It's led us to this point of understanding that a choice has to be made. That, that, that the Sermon on the Mount isn't just about an intellectual pursuit, although it is that. But it, it's about a life decision. Are we going to choose the way of the world, which leads to destruction? Are we going to choose the way of Christ that leads to life? Lord, I thank you that you've given us the ability to choose. I thank you that you've given us the ability to receive you as our Lord and Savior, to walk with you. And I pray that none of us, Lord God, would leave this moment without saying yes to you. To invite you to come into our life, not not unknowing what you've called us to, because we've been looking at what it means to be your follower, but understanding that. We just need you, Jesus. We need you. The world needs you. And we we don't say that in a way that that's mean or harsh. We say in a way that there's opportunity, even today, for people to come know you as Lord and Savior. And we pray weekly, Lord, that as we gather and as you've blessed us in this gathering, would you use us to bless others in our scattering? That many, many would choose you as Lord and Savior that the many that we pray about would be part of the few. That you be given glory. God, thank you for loving us so extravagantly. Thank you for, Lord God, allowing us as crosswinds to journey together with you. No one needs to journey alone. Not only are you with them, but we're here for each other. So God, have your way as we declare you're all we need. You're all we need. And thank you for being there for us. In Jesus' name, amen.